Again, good morning, and um, would you grab a Bible, please? I want to spend some time with you looking at an unusual passage of Scripture that maybe you've not looked at before. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. If you're in the East Auditorium, you don't have a Bible with you, there's some people moving around the room right now with those Bibles. Here in the West, there are some in the pew rack in front of you. It's about a third of the way through the Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 is where we're going to read. If you don't own a Bible, take that home as a gift to you, all right? Please do so. And um, I want to start this morning while you're looking for um, 2 Chronicles 15. I want to start by chatting with you briefly about something perhaps you're familiar about, that there's a new way in which um, people can take photography these days or do video. Years ago, that if a filmmaker wanted to get a shot, you know, a, an aerial shot, they'd have to hire a helicopter and a, a pilot and have all that fuel and a cameraman would be hanging out the edge of the... Remember Mutual Omaha? There was always a guy hanging out the side trying to get the shots of animals and that sort of stuff. Well, that's no longer needed because we have drones. Drones, um, photography drones, they're, they're a little larger than the size of a large dinner plate. And they can go up and they, they can take some footage of things like you can't believe. Like here's some footage right now of uh, some drone um, photography that a guy took in, in uh, Hawaii just this year. Sh he shot it in HD and it's phenomenal. It would have cost millions of dollars to do this in the past. Now you can do it with a guy just on the ground with a remote control. And it's, it's beautiful stuff of what Hawaii looks like. And you can say, okay, I'd like to go there. I'd like to be in that peaceful setting. I'd like to be above the, above the trees. And, you know, it looks so peaceful, doesn't it? But who are we kidding? We don't usually get to live in those sorts of settings, do you? More often than not, if you're like me, you have to live, in, you have to live down where everything takes place. Whereas you can see in that logo that we have for this sermon series where there's all sorts of things that are intertwining, lots of, if you will, messes and stuff going on and you've got to go, I've got to live there and then coming out of that, I've got to find some peace. If you look on the back of today's program, you'll see that there. Where does that come from? How do you get there? I want to talk with you about drones and getting above the tree lines, if you will, today. But also, how do we do that? How do we get the peace of that while living down here, if you will? In recent weeks, we've been chatting about peace. We gained some perspective a couple weeks ago about how we can have peace with God. Last week, we looked at how do we have peace with each other with all the stuff going on in our homes? How do we move out of the black blob of competing interests and find peace? Many of them, most of them legitimate. But then today, I want to do more than just talk about a respite from the chaos. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to dig my toes in the sand for a couple of weeks. But okay, that's nice. I'm going to be at the war where the water's lapping up against me and it's all... But did, did we live there? We don't get to live there, do we? No. How do we live when it comes to the culture at large that's often opposed to us? Because I want to, I want to experience the, the promise of Scripture that says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace that I want to experience. That's the kind of way in which I want to, I, I want to have something deep within me, excuse me, that... that pardon me, that goes beyond what, um, what others can understand or what even I have words to, exp to, to explain. Because here's what the truth is. I not only need peace with God, but I also need peace with others and with all the matters of life. And then I want peace with the world at large. 
Today we're going to examine that third kind of peace, that peace with the world, peace with the culture around us. And Scripture does give us some guidelines about how to do that out of 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to read there in just a moment. But since I'm aware that you're probably not really all that familiar with what's the background to 2 Chronicles 15, let me see if I can fill you in just a little bit, okay? 2 Chronicles, well, I should back up even before 2 Chronicles 15 to around about 1,000 B.C., some 3,000 years ago. Uh, the nation of Israel was at the peak of its glory. David was the king, along with his son Solomon, came right after him. And, and during that period of time, uh, Israel basically ruled the world, so to speak. It certainly ruled all the nations around them. The, they had a capital city by the name of Jerusalem. And the power and might of Israel was a force that all the other nations around them acknowledged. And consequently, all the other nations kind of kept to themselves. or they, they, There was great peace. But in the decades immediately after 1000 BC, that situation declined rapidly. The world became a much more dangerous place. And by the time you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 15, about 100 years later, it's a mess. The world is a mess. During that time, the nation of Israel has actually split. They've had a civil war. They've had a, then they've split. And the group in the north kept the name Israel. The group in the south took on a new name, Judah. The group in the south are made of two tribes of people, people who are from Judah and people who are from the tribe of Benjamin. The group in the north eventually disappeared, but we'll get, that's not quite where we are yet. But the two nations never came back together again, and David's reign of peace was obliterated. There has been a tremendous loss of life in the Civil War, and uh, the surrounding nations, as Israel has kind of done infighting, the surrounding nations have grown with their military might as well, and most problematic of all was that there were moments when the Jews of Israel and Judah would travel to these other nations, and while there, they would look at those cultures and they'd go, well, I like that particular form of worship. And they were bringing idols back to Jerusalem. And so not only was there no longer military peace, not only was there economic freedom or economic prosperity, then there was also now, by the time you get to Second Chronicles chapter 15, there's also all kinds of spiritual mess going on. And into the middle of that, a new king comes up. His name is Asa. Would you read with me 2 Chronicles chapter 15? The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, all you guys in the south. I've got, some, I've got a word of God, from God for you. The Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling with them with every kind of, every kind of distress. Now, I want you to see what, what's going on here is that during this period of time, what's taking place, the culture has changed. In a hundred years, the culture has changed from being a people who, and a nation that worshiped God. Now the culture has walked away from God. And in fact, the culture is now set against anybody who is a person of peace and as opposed to people of faith. Does that sound familiar in any way? That the culture is set against people of, of peace and opposed to people of faith? That's what's taking place here in Second Chronicles chapter 15. 
That's the way in which these, the setting in which they live. And as I was reviewing this in recent months in preparation for today, um, I was struck by some parallels between this passage and our present setting as a nation, as a global community. What parallels might you see between this setting and how we live today? Did you see it in verse three, for example? What does it say there? For a long time, Israel was without a true God. Or verse five, it wasn't safe to travel about. Verse six, one nation was being crushed by another. It seems very similar to our time. And frankly, there are moments when this, when kind of the world has looked like this. For example, in the book of Judges, there's a description of this inability to travel safely. It says this, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. What's that mean? Well, if you want to go from point A to point C, the fastest way is to travel through point B. But if point B is a dangerous place, what do you do? You go around. You take the, you take, we, we call it the scenic route. But in reality, sometimes the scenic route is the longer route around because it's not safe to go the quick way. Well, that's what the people of Second Chronicles chapter 15 were facing. It was a description of how unsafe it was to travel the normal routes. And people went out of their way, taking the long way around for safety's sake. And I have some observations that seem like that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? After all, our nation and our culture has forsaken the true God found in Jesus Christ for far too long. We see countless nations being crushed by other nations. And there are places where it is unsafe to travel at present. For example, just this past week, the uh, U.S. consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, issued a warning to Americans and foreigners who are living in the city who might be considering traveling outside the city that with the bombings that have taken place there this year, you need to have a second thought. They said extremist groups are continuing aggressive efforts to attack Americans and other foreigners in the city, and they said these attacks may be pre-planned or could occur with little or no warning and include but are not limited to armed attack, attempted kidnapping, bombing, and other violent acts. And that's just to go to Turkey. I mean, I've, many of you know, ministry and life has taken me around the world a lot of times and a lot of places. And there's, I can't say there's ever been a place that I go, oh, I don't want to go there for fear. But on the other hand, they're saying, don't come. And that, if that's just Turkey, you add that sort of situation to, it sounds not only like the problem of Second Chronicles chapter 15, but if you want to add to sort of the angst of what's going on, you say, well, beyond that, there's also in our own culture, in our own, in our own country, an ongoing onslaught of anti-Christian rhetoric in the public discourse. And then you add to that, there are often silly and I would say sometimes evil choices being promoted by various levels of the government in terms of policies and procedures and laws. And I would say we are also in a, na in a mess where one nation is often crushing another. We have one special interest group demanding rights from another. And it would appear, if you look at it just down in the weeds, there's no end in sight. Now, heads up, I'm gonna deal with more of this in the coming weeks. And I'm going to speak to a matter that in more than 30 years of pastoral ministry I've never taken on. Uh, namely, next week, in the weekend before the election and the, weekend, the two weekends thereafter, I'm going to talk about the present status and the present mood of the country as we approach the election. I've, in years past, tended to stay away from that, uh, but it seems to me it needs to be addressed. And so be mindful of that. 
next weekend and the two weeks there, weekends thereafter. I'll trust you'll be participating and listening and growing and praying. I've thought about, we'll talk about hope the first week and hope's dash the next week thereafter, but that might be a little too, that might be <laughs> too much too soon yet. But some, we, we, I think as Christians, we have to address what's taking place in the political culture. But beyond that, what do we do when the culture at large is going in a direction that is antithetical to God's thinking? What do you do when you say, okay, I've worked out peace with God and I've worked out peace with my friends and with my life, but there is no peace in the culture at large. How can you promote peace or at least discover it in this big flux? I mean, things are just swirling, swirling, swirling in the world. In the global community, it's just like this. How, where's peace in the middle of that? Well, I want you to take note of how Asa did that in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. When life was just like ours, look what happened in verse 8. Okay, verse 8, when Asa heard these words, and the prophet of Azariah, son of Odad, the prophet, he took courage. So he listens, he's, got, he's made himself aware of what's going on, he's aware that well, we're, in a tr we're in trouble here, and what does he do? He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, so he's taken all the idolatry out from the part that he's in charge of, along with um, the towns that he'd captured in the hills of Ephraim. Ephraim is a, one of the uh, tribes to the north that had been at civil war with them. And so after he removes everything, what does he do? He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. What's happening here? Asa, a newly enthroned king, takes note of the peace, around, the, the, the peace situation in the nation. There's none. He says the culture is in desperate shape and he took on a massive shift. He removed the places in the nation where idolatry had taken root and it be, where it become the norm. And he said, we're not going to worship false gods anymore. And then he repaired the place of worship in Jerusalem. You could say this, that once he was aware of the need for peace, he brought peace by removing and repairing. And I would suggest, friends, that if we want to see peace in our culture, in our world, we have to step away from idolatry and repair a relationship with God. But some of you are legitimately and correctly saying, well, fine, Asa was able to do that. He was the king. He could say thus and they did it. But you would say, I'm not a king. I don't have that authority. I, I can't tell people what to worship. As a matter of fact, in a pluralistic culture, if I go taking all their idols from them, if I take stuff from them, I'll be accused of theft and I'll go to jail. This is a pluralistic nation. I don't have the right that Asa had. And I would say, exactly, you don't. Of course you don't. You can't command the nation to follow, the, follow God. As a matter of fact, I've learned I can't even command a congregation to follow God. I can make suggestions. And again, we'll deal with that more in the coming weeks about how we can deal with the nation. But with the knowledge that we can't command all to follow peace, what steps can you take? And I, I want to be really candid with you today, that when it comes to what steps people of God can take, um, I'm convinced that the people who follow Jesus Christ in our nation have missed the mark in this matter in recent years. Candidly. We've taken great American ideals like protests and voices and used them without an accompanying action of compassion. Too often, Christians have yelled more loudly with protests as compared to leading people with compassion to a new direction in life. We've confused wonderful, great American and democratic principles with Christian action. 
My observation is this, that loud voices are rarely as helpful as compassionate care. We've demanded peace instead of demonstrating it. And we've just become another loud voice adding to the din and the noise of the culture around us. For example, I'll be straight up. I appreciate those who stand on a picket line at Planned Parenthood, but I'd suggest that volunteering at New Life Pregnancy Center would be more proactive and more effective. Because one is just a loud voice. One is just an angry sounding voice. The other is somebody who's reaching into people's lives, leading them to a new place, a new godly life perspective. We need to show and bring people peace. We can't, it can't be just that we tell them about it, not by any means. And I would say this, friends, if you here today are in a setting where you've had an abortion or you're considering an abortion, on this matter specifically, can I offer a pastoral word? Please come to us and say, I, I need some help with this. I, I, I've had this in the past and I don't know what to do with it. Or I, I'm, placed, I'm, I'm faced with a pregnancy that I don't know what to do. How can I manage this? We would be glad to help. We'd be glad to show you that compassionate care, that, that way out that doesn't just follow the culture around us. So if we would say, well, I don't want to just tell people about peace. I want to lead them to it. I, want, I don't want to just tell them about it. I, I want to show it to them. How do you do that? Because that's what Asa did. At first you read that and you go, well, he's tore down things and he burned things up and he, he got rid of stuff and he said, thus. But actually, it wasn't just that easy. As a matter of fact, look at verse 16. In order to bring peace to the culture, he started at his own house. It says that King Asa deposed his grandmother Makar from her position as queen mother. He had to start at the house because she'd made a repulsive idolatrous image for false worship. He cut it down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Now, what I, what I want you to see here is that when it comes to leading the culture to peace and leading the culture to, to uh, a better way of life, sometimes it has to begin with our own family members. It may involve matters much closer to home. So you see, because when we read that Asa burned this idolatrous pole and, and uh, this idol and he burned it out in the Kidron Valley here in America, we don't, that doesn't mean much to us. We, we don't understand what the Kidron Valley is. Can I show you a photograph so you get a better sense of what's going on? This is a photograph of Jerusalem. The wall that you see on the right-hand side, that's the city of Jerusalem as it is today, okay? That's the old city. It's a mile square. The uh, dome-like structure at the bottom of the hill there, that's uh, coming down the hill from the city and going up the, up the other side. That is the Mount of Olives right there. So the Mount of Olives literally is right outside the city of Jerusalem. You know what's in between? This green space? That's the Kidron Valley. When we think of valleys, we think of, well, I'm going to go out to Colorado and, and, and it's going to be a 12,000-foot peak and another 12,000-foot peak and there's going to be 25 miles between them and there's the valley. And so we read, well, he took it out and he burned it in the Kidron Valley. He took it a long, long way away and burned it. No. For the sake of this passage of Scripture, when he said we're going to deal with idolatry, he's, he's talking about his own backyard. The Kidron Valley is in the backyard of the palace. Leading a nation to spirituality, to true spirituality, begins at home, ladies and gentlemen. He dealt with matters in his own backyard. Now, I want you to be careful how you interpret my comments. I'm not suggesting you go home and you burn bridges with your family or your friends or those you work with. I'm not suggesting you break relationships instead. 
I would implore you, lead with a grace-covered, spirit-led, Jesus-styled compassion lifestyle. Changing the culture at large will require leading people one by one. Yelling and shouting do not make it work. There's no silver bullet. I'm not suggesting that. Family members will follow, some of them easily, but not all of them. Some of them will take a really, really long time. But to get them there, I'm not going to get caught up in the weeds of the struggle. Because I want to, I want to get above the tree line. I want to gain a long-term perspective, a bird's eye view of bringing peace to these settings that need the peace of Christ. And some situations I know are going to require a long time and a lot of work for even a bit of small change. But instead of bashing and complaining about the culture, I want to get a bird's eye view and lead change. And that's where um, that drone footage from Hawaii comes into play. So when I was thinking about how could I describe to you what it means to get above the fray and catch God's glimpse of what's going on, the idea of these camera drones, these dinner plates, being able to fly in places that only helicopters could go, but now there's no wash from the rotor blades or anything. They can do photography now that's significantly different. Like, for example, take a look at this video footage shot by a drone of a man, well, of a communications tower, and you'll see what he's doing. It's 1,500 feet up in the air. There's the drone going up. There he is. How would you like this for a job? His job is to change the light bulb at the top of the pole. I think it would take all day. Now look, there he's out in the middle of nowhere. And the drone has taken the footage. What's he hanging on to is what I want to know. Yeah, up here I'll take a selfie. Good idea. (laughs) Now, is that stunning? Now, it would be my guess that if that were my job, I'm going up there to change that light bulb, I'd get all the way to the top and realize I didn't bring my screwdriver with me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But here's this guy's job, is to climb all, I I imagine it's 1,500 feet. So he's got a long way to climb, and each time he's got to put those two hooks on and everything for safety's sake. But that work, that climb, that approach does what? It brings peace to any pilot flying by in the middle of the night, right? Because he's changing that light bulb. Hmm. In the chaos of the darkness, in the chaos of where the culture doesn't know where to go, what can we do? Yes, with some effort. Yes, with some hard work. And yes, at times it's dangerous. But we can bring peace to the people flying by in the middle of the darkness. This is where we can lead. This is where we can make a change. We do so even though we don't have the power and the authority of some human throne. We can't say do it because of thus... We don't have that kind of throne behind us, but we do have the throne room of God behind us. We have the kingdom of heaven saying, I'll back you up, God is saying, I'll back you up. You take on the small, difficult jobs of providing light and bringing peace to a culture in desperate need. And be aware that today is not the final moment. The culture of this day does not rule our lives, friends. We can get out of the weeds. We can do as the songwriter says, that as by the light of opening day, the stars are all concealed. 
so earthly pleasures fade away when Jesus is revealed? Creatures no more divide my choice. I bid them all depart. His name, his love, his gracious voice have fixed my roving heart. I think that's the problem with getting down in the, in the muck and the, and the blob. I keep looking around for all the right answers too easy, and I look for easy answers instead of saying, I'm willing to climb and get above it. I'll live down here. But I got I to gotta get a different perspective. I, gotta, I can't just row from one thing to another. Instead, I, don't need to do what, I need to do what the psalmist said when he said, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where's my help come from? He's looking all around. I'm looking around. I don't see any help coming. In. But he says, no, my help doesn't come from there. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a culture that is looking for some magic potion or some new charismatic leader to bring peace, don't look there. Don't look to the hills. Don't rove all around. Instead, look further up. Look higher than the hills. Look to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Gain heaven's perspective Gain heaven's perspective on the culture and the long-term plan of God for his kingdom that is going to be made a reality in our lives now and in the future in the culture. There we find peace. When we look there, ironically, Asa's story is that when he looked and said, what's God want me to do? And where do I I'll start in my, own, in my own folk? I'll start in my own backyard. Do you know what happened? Other people were looking and they said, hey, what's with the peace that he's got? Maybe I should have that. Because as he brought security to his nation, people noticed as he removed and as he repaired and as he instituted peace, here's what we read, he built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. In other words, since we're no longer at war, since we're no longer struggling just to get by, now we can not only live our lives, but we, now we can have some economic prosperity. We can start building. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. And he said, because we have sought the Lord our God, we sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So what did they do? They built and they prospered. And what's fascinating is, as they did that, some of their people to the north, some of the people in the north who they had been at war with, the civil war had already taken place. You know what? They said, hey, what's going on down south? He assembled all of Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon. Those are the people in the north. Benjamin and Judah on the south, but Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon who had settled among them. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. They sought God eagerly and he was found by, the, by them. And what happened? The Lord gave them rest. The Lord gave them peace on every side. Let's pray together. God, in these moments, I pray that the peace of Jesus Christ would be found in all of our lives. I'm thankful, God, that we are at peace with you, that we are, Lord, in a setting where for most of us today, we've come to the place where we say we want to be at peace with you through the work of Christ. But God, beyond that, there are also situations um, where we would say, man, the culture and just society, the, war, the global village, God, is just messing with me so badly. God, we will work and do all we can to lean into you, to, to get our eyes not to the hills, but beyond that. We're going to get the bird's eye view of God, of your plan for this world 
for the long-term view, God. That's our plan. The high view. We'll live down where we live, God, but we're not just going to view that. Instead, we look to you, the maker of heaven and earth. You are our peace. In Christ's name, amen.